John chapter number 12. Let's begin reading at verse number 1. The Bible says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? For this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief, and had the bag, and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone, against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet Him, and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when He had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy King cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not His disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world is gone after him. Let's read verse 9 once more and then we'll pray. Much people of the Jews, therefore, knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. Now, Father, I pray that you'd bless your word to the hearts of your people that you'd show if there's any amongst us lost and undone, you'd show them their great need of Calvary. And Father, that you'd do in us that which only you're able, that you alone might get the glory for what takes place. Lord, we love you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Very interested in the phrase in verse number 9 where the Bible says that they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. There was a group of people that had a desire to see Jesus, but it wasn't just to see Jesus. They also wanted to see what Jesus had done in the lives of others. Can I say to you tonight that there's some folks that they may have a desire to see Jesus, but they've got a desire to see you first and find out about you. The truth is, every single one of us that claim the name of Jesus Christ, we're a walking billboard for who and what Christianity is. Like it or lump it, that's just the way it is. The way you live is how the people around you that don't know Christ, what they're going to think about Christ and what they're going to identify Christianity as is defined by you and who and what you are. This group of people had a desire to see Jesus, but not just to see Him. 
Maybe if it had been just to see Jesus, they wouldn't have gone. Now let me say to you tonight that anybody can see me and that ain't going to help them, amen? That's plain enough to see, isn't it? Folks can see me and that ain't going to fix their problems. They've got to see Jesus. But the truth is, in this lost and dying world that we live in, uh, many folks just don't understand the importance of needing to see Jesus. If they understood that, there'd be no need for the preacher. There'd be no need for the work. It would just be ingrained within the heart of man to look to Jesus. But we find actually that the exact opposite is what's ingrained into the heart of man. Uh, to try to get to heaven through our own good works, to try to get to heaven through our denominations or through our baptism, uh, to try to look any and everywhere except to Jesus. And so there's times when men do have somewhat of a desire to see Jesus, but they want to see you first and find out what He's done in your life. That's what they wanted to do with Lazarus. They, they had heard about this Lazarus. They had heard what God had done in his life. And can I just put it plain? That's checking him out. That's checking him out, and that's checking Jesus out by checking him out. And some of you tonight, you got co-workers, and they're checking Jesus out by checking you out. you got neighbors that are checking Jesus out, but they're checking you out. You've got friends and family members. They're checking Jesus out. They're finding something out about Him. But the way they're doing it is by checking you out and finding something out about you. As I read this passage, I'm struck by three thoughts. Can I give them to you very quickly? I want you to notice first off Lazarus's account. What does the Bible say about Lazarus? There's really not a whole lot that we know about him. Two different men in Scripture go by the name of Lazarus. One was a beggar that sat outside of the rich man's gates. And another was a man from the little town of Bethany that had sisters by the name of Mary and Martha. And it's this Lazarus with which we're preaching and concerning ourselves tonight. Uh, most of the history of Lazarus, in fact, all of the history of Lazarus, everything we know about him, is summed up in John's chapter 11 and 12. There's nothing else said about Lazarus throughout the entire Word of God. But this one story was magnificent enough, was amazing enough, uh, that it drew from miles around people that wanted to find out something about this Jesus. If he could do this for Lazarus, maybe he could do something for them. And we find that there's three things about his history. We don't know a whole lot about him, as I've already said. We don't know what his favorite foods were. We don't know what his favorite color was. We don't know if he liked trips to the mountain or long walks on the beach. But one thing that we do know about Lazarus is his past condition, his past situation, or can I put it this way, his past death. Look what it says in verse number 1. The Bible says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead. Now, we could just pause right there. And the very fact that they're talking about a living man that had once been dead, that's a remarkable fact. Uh, You can read the story in your own time in chapter number 11, uh, how that Lazarus was sick and word had been sent to Jesus uh, that Lazarus, whom thou lovest, is sick. Can I say, it's a great testimony just to be able to say that the Lord loves you. Now, anybody can say that, but very few are. And what a testimony. If nothing else, just say, hey, the God of all creation loves me. He cares about me. Lazarus, whom thou lovest, is sick. And so they sent to Jesus and told him this. And Jesus tarried there, not by accident, by providence. Amen. He tarried there for the express purpose that Lazarus could die. You say, why did he do that? Because he was going to raise him from the dead. That's why. He was trying to teach uh, those that were there this eternal truth that he had uh, conveyed to uh, Martha when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, If any man believe in me, 
though he were dead, yet shall he live. And so he was conveying this truth. So Lazarus dies. He spends four days in the tomb. You know what they said about him? They said, Lord, by this time he stinketh. Now, we kind of giggle at that, and that's kind of funny, you know. We think, oh, well, you know, he stinketh. Uh, But, you know, there's a real spiritual truth there. And that real spiritual truth is this, that there's lots of folks uh, that Christianity looks at and says, don't try to fool with them, by this time they stinketh. There's lots of folks in need of Jesus Christ, but uh, but Christianity looks at them and says, "Uh, don't fool with them, by this time he stinketh. Uh, They got too much baggage. They got too many problems. They'll never make a grade-A church member. Can I say to you that God can do more in a man's life than we could ever estimate, imagine, or underestimate? God is able to do things exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And just can I, and this is going to seem mean. I don't mean it so, but you know what? You wasn't such hot stuff before you got saved either. Amen. That's just the truth. Of they said, "By this time he stinketh." What did they mean? He had died. He was dead. The disciples said, oh, well, you know, Lazarus is asleep because the Lord said, you know, I mean, uh, the, it's the time of darkness, time when men sleep, and said he is asleep. And they thought, oh, well, he's just sleeping. You know, they're dense like you and me. So the Lord just clarified, and he said, no, he's dead. He's dead. You say, what does that have to do with me? This is what it has to do with you. Ephesians chapter 2 says, even uh, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin." You see, you've got the same testimony Lazarus does. When you was lost and undone, you was as good as dead. You spiritually were dead. You was on your way to a second death. Uh, that was your destiny. That was the name written over your head was death. That was what had the dominion. That was what had uh, the control and the authority over you. The Bible says in Hebrews uh, chapter number 2 that Christ tasted death for every man uh, and that He through death defeated death that He might deliver them who through their entire lifetime were subject unto bondage, under fear of death. That's what the lost man is. He's terrified of death, terrified of the prospect of it. Can I say to you, I'm not necessarily so fond of it, but I know i got nothing to fear of it. I, I, I may not be looking for it right this moment, but can I say that I know that when there comes a time when I pillow my head in death, if the Lord tarries His coming, I, I surely will uh, face death one of these days. There's no fear for me. And if you've been saved, there's no fear for you. We've conquered death through Jesus Christ. I see his past death, but I want to say a word about his powerful deliverance. Look again at verse number 1 of chapter 12. It says, who had been dead. Then what does it say? Whom he raised from the dead. Man, what it must have been like to have been at that tomb that day. Jesus goes forth. He says, show me where he's buried. The shortest verse in the whole Word of God says, Jesus wept. There he stood outside that tomb. Well, we, we can preach a whole message about why he wept, and I'm not going to do it tonight. Uh, but just suffice it to say that he hurt because they hurt. And so Jesus wept. And he told them, he said, I want you to roll the stone back away from that sepulcher. When they rolled it away from that sepulcher, he hollered out and he said, Lazarus, come forth. Now, if you'd said it or I'd said it, it wouldn't have done much. But when he said it, it made all the difference. Lazarus, come forth. And just by the majesty and the power of his voice, he was called out of death and into life. Amen. Now, you say, preacher, what it would have been like to be there that day. Oh, preacher, if I could have been at that tomb. Oh, preacher, if I could have heard that voice. But can I just let you in on a little secret? You've had a greater miracle than Lazarus had Amen. if you've been saved. Uh, it, it wasn't much to reanimate that old lifeless body. But when God, with that same majestic voice, 
spoke to you, not audibly, but through the preaching of His Word, through the conviction of the Holy Ghost, when He said your name, just like He at one time said my name, He didn't just say any name, He said your name. You say, how do you know that? Because you went like that when He did. (laughs) And I did the same thing. When God spoke to my heart, said, son, you're dead in your sins. You're on your way to hell. I said, Lord, you're right. You're right, he said, but if you'll just call upon me, if you'll just put your faith in my Son, if you'll just turn to me, he said, I'll draw you forth with cords of love. And I'll bring you forth uh, from uh, grave clothes and from death and from despair, and I'll raise your body up from the grave of sins that you're in. Boy, that's a miracle now. But now, you've got that testimony. i got that testimony. Oh, what it would have been to have been Lazarus and to tell folks what had happened to you. But what is it to be us and to tell folks what's happened to us? We see His powerful deliverance. But can I give you just just one more thing just on this part real quick? Uh, It it speaks about His past death and it speaks about His powerful deliverance. But look at verse 2. The Bible says, there they made Him a supper. You can tell that that God's a southerner. Amen. (laughs) Made Him a supper. (laughs) And Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them. Now, it's easy to just read over this and not see it. But you just you pay attention and you'll see it. Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. We see his present place of dignity. Now, I mean, we miss that when we read through here. It, it wasn't just that he raised him, it was that he gave him a seat at the table. Can I say that your testimony and my testimony, not just that God has wiped the slate clean, not just that He's cast our sins into the sea of His forgetfulness, not just that God will remember our iniquities no more, but now we are being conformed to the image of His dear Son. We have been, as the Word of God says, accepted in the Beloved. What a testimony that God hasn't just pulled us out of the pit. He set us in heaven with Him. What a testimony that we're just... uh, It's not just that we're no longer His enemies, but now it's where His children. We've been accepted in the Beloved. That's a testimony, let me tell you, if ever I've heard one. Sometimes we long for the testimonies of folks that had got deep in sin. Can I say to you that folks that got saved at a late age after a lot of years of sin, the only thing glamorous about it is their testimony. The only thing glamorous about it is their testimony. And, and I, I know plenty of them, and I'm not, I don't think they're trying to glorify sin, but it's easy sometimes to get up and talk about all that God's done. And I think we ought to talk about all that God's done. But a lot of times you don't see how their body hurts. You don't see how, the things that they can't get out of, your, out of their minds. You don't see the things that they have to go through and they have to suffer. And sometimes it's easy to really envy those folks when you got saved at a young age. Maybe you got saved in a vacation Bible school at a church camp. Maybe you got saved in a revival at a young age. I know that I was saved at a young age at 10 years old. And it's easy sometimes to envy those folks. And you know what we're really saying? We're saying, oh, if I had a testimony like them. If I had a testimony like them, boy, I could make a difference. And by the same token, how easy it would be to look at Lazarus and say, oh, if I had a testimony like Lazarus. But the truth is, you do have a testimony like Lazarus. We don't like to acknowledge it, but the truth is, we're headed for the same devil's hell that the drunkard and that the rapist that the murderer. We were headed to the same hell they were headed to. We were in the same condemnation that they were in. Am I right tonight? We were in the same condemnation that they were in. We were headed to that same hell. We've got the same Savior. If they've been born again, if we've been born again, there's only one Savior. The Bible says that He's the Savior of all men, especially them that believe. Uh, If you've been saved, the only way you've been saved is through Jesus Christ. You've got the same Savior. 
By the same token, uh, they have been lifted out of that uh, situation and placed into a place of honor and dignity by being a child of God. But so have you. We've got a remarkable testimony. We see his account. The Bible says about him that many were coming to him. And so anytime somebody does something for Jesus, there'll be an opposition. Anytime there'll be, if you don't want to do anything for the Lord, there ain't going to be much opposition. Can I tell you how to live the most meaningless, but the most comfortable and casual life that you can? Just don't serve the Lord. Just don't serve the Lord. Nobody will bother you. Just don't serve the Lord. Everything will probably go right. Now, by the same token, when you pillow your head at night, you'll know you've done nothing for the kingdom of God. Uh, You'll live uh, with an attitude of misery and an attitude of worthlessness. And uh, I'm about to just throw this thing out into the pond. Amen. Do we have a pond around here? Here, Nick, give me this one right here. That's a good thing about having this one up here now. Amen. We, We got something to do with it now. About every three months, I break these cords. <laughs> it's not intentional, but it, it's pretty consistent. Amen. Uh, so uh, there's always going to be an opposition. No matter what you do, if you do something for Jesus Christ, these young people, if you're going to take a stand for the Lord, there's going to be an opposition against you. There will be. There, there's going to be some folks that's going to upset. In our middle-aged crowd, there will be an opposition. If you take a stand for the Lord in your workplace, there will be an opposition against you. And even those that are gray-headed and those that feel as though they're entering that last phase in their life, if you take a stand, there will always be an opposition against you. I promise you that. There was an opposition against him. Notice what it says with me in verse number 11. The Bible says, uh, or verse number 10, But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Here was the opposition. What, no, notice first off, what was their disdain? Why did they hate him the way that they hate him? It's what it says in verse 11, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. That's why they hated him. Do you know why it is that there will always be some that will hate the children of God? Because they're making a difference and making an impact in somebody's life. Uh, They'll hate them uh, not necessarily because of who and what they are. They hate them because of who and what they represent. Listen to what it says in in chapter 11. Let me read just two verses in chapter 11. Verse number 47. Jesus has just raised Lazarus uh, from the grave. And it says, Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles, speaking of Jesus. Look at verse number 53. The Bible says, Then from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. You know why it was they hated Lazarus? Because they hated Lazarus as Lord. That's why they hated Lazarus. Uh, They hated Lazarus because they hated Jesus. They had a desire to kill Jesus, so now they had a desire to kill Lazarus because he represented who and what Jesus could do. You know, the reason so many of us go through life in an uneventful way, I've heard people say before, man, being a Christian is boring. You know, the only kind of folks that say that is folks that have never lived like a Christian lives. You start living for the Lord, you'll find out it's pretty interesting, friend. You open your eyes to the spiritual warfare that exists and consists around us, and you'll find out it's a pretty exciting life fighting this battle. You'll find it's a pretty remarkable thing when you begin to take a stand. You see the embattlements of hell rise up against you in ordinary, common, everyday circumstances that most people would just chalk up to bad luck and misfortune. But when you look through spiritual eyes, you see a satanic conspiracy designed and bent upon laying you out of this battle and getting you to stop serving Jesus Christ. The devil hates Jesus. The world hates Jesus. The flesh hates Jesus. And if you start living for Jesus they're going to rile up against you too. 
We see their disdain, but notice secondly their desire. Verse 10 says that they might put Lazarus also to death. Now they wanted to kill him. Now you say, well preacher, what's so fascinating about that? Nothing except for this. They were trying to undo what Jesus had done. He had already died once. You know that, right? And Jesus had raised him from the dead. And you know what they said? They said, if we can just put him back in that grave, it'll all settle down. If we can just undo what Jesus did in his life, it'll all settle down. And you know what this world is bent on doing to the believer that shows any bit of zeal and excitement for Jesus Christ. The world comes along and says, why don't you just hush about that? Why don't you just calm down about that? Now, don't be a fanatic now. Get down at Nayland Stadium, scream their heads off when we're losing a football game, but get in the house of God and shout for the Lord. And they say, don't be a fanatic. What are they trying to do? They're trying to undo what Jesus has done in your life. That world will come along and say, hey man, them standards that you've been upholding, that's just nonsense, that's foolishness, you don't need that. You're never going to reach anyone unless you become like them. No, the truth is, you're never going to reach anyone if you become like them, because they're trying to get out of the same mess that they're in. They look at you and see that you're no better, no different, no change relative uh, to the way they are, and they're not going to be interested in what you've got to say, because they're not going to trade and make a lateral move. The fact is, the world will say, well, you know, you should drop them. That's nonsense. Don't make such a fuss over certain things. They're trying to undo what Jesus has done in your life. They're trying to hush you up. They're trying to make you be quiet. They're trying to undo what Christ has done. Can I say to you that Galatians chapter 5 is still in the book when it says to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage? We ought to still stand fast on what the Lord's done in our lives. We see their disdain and their desire, but notice verse 19. I like this. This encourages me. Uh, the Bible teaches us that Jesus was entering into Jerusalem uh, triumphantly. And there was a group of people, not everybody, but there was a group that called him their king. And, you know, that's still true today. Not everybody calls him king, but God's still got a group that calls him king. And they laid palm branches down. They cried out, Hosanna to the king! Of Israel, And, you know, there was another crowd that was there. That crowd that had met up at the tomb of Lazarus. And the Bible says that the Pharisees, whenever they got there and they saw what was going on, that one of them looked at the other one. You know, that's how it reads. Look at what it says there in verse number 19. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves. That means one of them looked at the other one and said, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? There's fussing and quarreling. One of them looked at the other one and said, You ain't getting the job done. And look what it says. It says, Behold, the world is gone after them. We see not only their disdain and their desire, but we see their defeat. Could I say that it's up to us whether we quit? It's up to us whether we quit. If we're willing to be persistent, if we're willing to stay uh, to the Word of God, if we're willing to push uh, when there's a pushback, if we're willing to go on when we don't feel like going on, if we're willing to not be weary in well-doing, if we're willing to uh, continue to sow even though we may not be reaping at that moment, if we're willing to faint not, we can have the victory in folks' lives. These Pharisees said, we're not getting the job done, but they are. We see their defeat. God can. God has the ability to use you tonight. Look at the way he used Lazarus. And I'll just run through these. We've seen his account and his opposition, but notice his impact. Verse number 9, Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, 
but that they might see Lazarus also whom he had raised from the dead. Notice the verse, uh, the word here, it says, and they came not for Jesus' sake only. I'd say they may have came not for Jesus' sake only, but they came just the same. I would say, first off, they came. Uh, Lazarus was able to get folks to Jesus. That's the first step in your sphere of impact, your sphere of influence. Before Lazarus did anything else in folks' lives, uh, before he could make a difference, he first had to get him to Jesus Christ. Uh, you know that you need to get in your mind that you can get them to church, but that don't mean that's going to get them to Christ. You can get them to uh, change the way they dress. You can get them to change the Bible that they carry. You can get them to change the way they talk. But there will never be a difference in their life until you get them to Jesus Christ. The first and great thing that Lazarus was able to do is get them to Jesus. They came, and then verse number 11 says uh, that many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. He wasn't just getting the message to them. They was receiving the message. He wasn't just telling them that Jesus was the way. They were believing on Jesus Christ. Folks was getting saved because of Lazarus' testimony. You say, what Lazarus do right? Lazarus just talked about what had happened at the grave that day. That's what Lazarus did right. Let me tell you something. Now, now don't misunderstand me. I, I'm all for the Romans road. I'm all for the, uh, the Acts road and the Philippian road, amen, and the Genesis road and every road that you can come up with. I'm not being critical. I'm not being condescending. I think they're good. You use them if you need them. Use them even if you don't need them. But let me say that there's a place for testimonial soul win. See, folks can argue your theology, but they can't argue your testimony. They have to call you a liar to argue your testimony. And most folks won't do that. They may call you a nut, <laughs> but they can't tell you that what happened didn't happen. Lazarus wasn't a great theologian, but he had seen something nobody else had seen. Lazarus wasn't a great theologian, but he had been some places nobody else had been. Lazarus wasn't a great theologian, but listen, he had heard somebody's voice that nobody else had heard. He is able to tell them about it. If you've been born again, you're able to tell them about it. You're able to tell them about it. Oh, preacher, I wouldn't know the verses to use. Let me say, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. I think it's good. I think we need to saturate our witnessing with verses of Scripture. But I believe that I wouldn't wait until I had them memorized to start telling folks. I'd just go ahead and start telling them. Most of us, most of us, this is true, most of us could not name the sermon that was being preached the night we got saved. Because something greater than that sermon being preached happened the night that we got saved. We met the Savior. We met Jesus Christ. Lazarus, he couldn't do much, but listen, he could tell them where he had been, and that was enough. I want to see that they came, but notice this. They came, they believed, but what does verse 17 say? The Bible says, The people therefore that was with him when he had called Lazarus out from of his grave, uh, the Bible says, and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause the people also met him, for they, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. I noticed that they came, I noticed they believed, but then finally I noticed they proclaimed. They proclaimed. You know what they did? After they had been to the tomb with Lazarus, they told folks about Lazarus, but they also told older folks about Lazarus as Lord. You know, that's the way that it works. That's the way that it works. You, told, you tell folks what Christ has done for you. And they'll go away and they'll tell folks not only what Christ has done for you, but what Christ has done for them through the testimony they've heard from you. We may not be great theologians. I don't think any of us are. But we've got something to say. We may not have it all squared away. 
But we know somebody that does. We may not be able to stand up and with great uh, oratorical ability proclaim a vast and beautiful uh, exegesis of Scripture. Oh, but we can tell them what happened at the tomb for us. We can tell them what happened. And you've got somebody, I'd almost guarantee you that God put somebody on your heart as I preach this message that you need to share the gospel with. And you know what? You can go to that person and you can say, I'm not here to fuss with you and I'm not here to argue. I'm here to be your friend and I'm here to tell you about what Jesus did in my life. You say, what about the Scripture? Oh, you get him to the tomb and there will be time for the voice to be heard. You get him to the tomb, there will be time to take the Bible and show him. But you see, sometimes they come not for Jesus' sake only. Sometimes they come to hear the testimony of somebody that Christ has made a difference in their life.